following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So we're continuing our, our work through First Peter this morning. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That's page uh, 1,000. 15, we've made it all the way, 1,015 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, yeah, You're on, you have a lot more pages in your Bible. Holy smokes. Well, uh, last week we talked about um, how the church is made up of living stones, um, us as individual believers built on the foundation of the confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, setting the lines of plumb and level and square for the temple that he is building. Peter also said in verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, we're going to look a little closer um, as at um, going to look a little closer at the church as a holy priesthood uh, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. In this week's text verses 9 and 10 and um This sermon is appropriately titled, Speaking of the Church as a Peculiar People. I think we nailed that one. (laughs) So, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your great grace that has preserved your words for us. We pray, Father, that your spirit now would speak through your living word, that you would affect our hearts and minds and lives, and we would be changed as a result of being together in your word, in your presence today, together as a family. We love you, Lord, and give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just after a a quick glance at these two verses, what do you think Peter's purpose could possibly be? Telling the church, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now this, obviously, Peter is knocking him down a peg, right? I mean, this is, he's chastising. What's Peter's purpose here? This is where you say, encouragement. Yeah, because you copied Joel. Good job. Pastor's kid over here, you can tell. He's got the whole Bible memorized. Yeah. <laughs> remember that we remember Peter's original audience. You, you aren't it, just in case you were wondering. Peter's original audience was made up of exiled Jewish believers in Jesus. Right, separated from their homeland and spread out and sprinkled in to other nations. And though we're not exactly the same and certainly not in the same exact situation as them, I think we can still identify with the idea of being sprinkled in among um, others who are outside of our holy nation of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so we can find similar encouragement, I think, from Peter's words here in these verses. So let's look briefly at this list of adjectives Peter uses to describe the church and how we might identify with them and be encouraged by Peter's message. And I... I could use your prayers. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just cold. Peter begins by calling the church a chosen race. Well, what is the significance of this expression to call the church a chosen race? You sound like the church is the first one to have that moniker? No, not even close. Being a chosen race, or as some translations put it, a chosen generation, a people chosen out of the great mass of humanity and destined for salvation. Does that sound like anybody else to you? No, before them, it was Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish race. Exodus 19, 1 through 6 says, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. I've been there, wilderness, no joke. They set out from Rephidim, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, 
and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These words Peter uses had been used before. Being the chosen race was the honor conferred to the people of Israel. But now, it's conferred on the church. They fell from that dignity because they rejected Messiah. They rejected God's covenant while the church embraces it by faith. When God spoke through Moses, there's a big if. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Now, before we start to get all puffed up about the idea that now we're the chosen people, Let's remember the words of John Calvin. There is no other reason why the Lord counts us as his people except that he, having mercy on us, graciously adopts us. What does he mean? It means it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) Mercy and grace being the key ideas. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy not getting the bad, and grace getting the good. Paul echoes this thought in Romans 9.21, when he says, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use? and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call my beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, I'm sure that there are many sermons that could be preached on just this one thought, but this is not one of them. Peter adds to the description of the church as a chosen race the honor of being called a royal priesthood. Now, verse 5 calls the church a holy priesthood, a priesthood set apart and consecrated for God's use. But now he adds to the idea of that holy 
priesthood, also being a royal priesthood. Now, there is a very tempting rabbit trail to chase because there's only two royal priests mentioned in Scripture. You, the Levites weren't royal. They, they, they weren't royalty. The only royal priests were Jesus and Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, there's a rabbit trail. We're not going to go down. Sorry. But now you know his name, Melchizedek. You can look him up. Fascinating. Not good for today's sermon. So the church is indeed a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. All believers in Jesus Christ as Lord are priests that offer spiritual sacrifices to God. But what does it mean to be royal? How does a person become royal? You're born into it. Into what? Royalty. How does one become royal? Because they, the lady of the lake held aloft the sword... Excalibur, no. (laughs) Fun story, but no. It's simple. The only way to be royal is to be connected to the king. Connected to the king. You have to be related to the king. That's how we get to be a royal priesthood. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We were the people, not a people. And he has called us his people. He has called us as his own. He has adopted us as his sons. Now, ladies, don't get offended by that. It's merely a station. The son stood to inherit the kingdom from his father or the, uh, the inheritance. It's not a bad thing. We are a royal priesthood because we have been adopted by the great king, by faith in his son. And as a holy and royal priesthood, we can freely draw near to God, sacrificing, praying, blessing, offering our bodies, our whole being as an act of genuine worship. That's what Paul meant when uh, he wrote in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable or genuine act of worship. That's what we get to do. He sets apart a people who are, by nature, polluted, slaves of sin and Satan, and sets us free 
free to serve him and to draw near to him and to worship him and to enjoy all the blessings of royal liberty and freedom. There are many sermons that could be preached on this one thought, but this is not one of them. The church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and also a holy nation. And what does it mean to be a holy nation? To be holy, as we've discussed, is to be separated and consecrated by God for his use. This pertains to being holy in the sense of having superior moral qualities and possessing essentially divine qualities in contrast to what is merely human, according to the low NIDA lexicon, at least. Israel was a shadow of this idea. This is what they were intended for. But because of their sin and idolatry, they could not hang on to this. They could not fulfill this role. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Don't hear me say that. that that's, I'm not saying that. God has plans for the nation of Israel. But now, through faith in Jesus Christ, the church is God's holy nation. When the nation of Israel was faced with the choice to remain pure and remain true to the Lord instead of following the idols and false gods of the pagan nations when they left Egypt and entered the promised land, they chose poorly. They chose idols. They chose the pagan traditions. They chose to disobey God and not drive out the nations, not totally wipe them out, as they were told to do. They turned from the Lord and chose idols. That's not my opinion. It's written in the book. Even today, people of Jewish descent have turned from the Lord to good works instead. Instead of faithfulness to God's word and faithfulness to his chosen Messiah, Jesus Christ. As the church, God's holy nation, we're faced with the same choices. We must strive for holiness. We must renounce the ways of the world. Renounce the ways of the pagan nations. We must grow in brotherly love as we are destined to live a pure and holy life. This was God's design for Israel, and they chose poorly. This is God's design for us. How will you choose? Peter use, Peter's use of the word nation here, holy nation, is an extension of the idea of a tribe. Just really big. It's the largest unit that the people of the world can be divided into that constitute a broader community. Like America. Only to better. Way better. This is the universal church. 
This is the communion of all believers in Jesus over all the world and for all time. We are part of a wonderful, gigantic, peculiar group. Wonderfully diverse. But we get stuck. I get stuck in thinking, well, like the church is all like us, right? No, 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 no. We are part of a huge group across time and that we just don't always fathom. Because they're not, we don't feel all the time like they're connected to us so much. You know, I, like, how far back does your, your idea of Christianity go? What is, what is your idea of faithfulness of Christ? What did that look like in 1915? Or in Canada? Or New Jersey? I mean, who knows? I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Rain it in. The church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. The more accurate is a people for God's acquisition. The King James, old King Jimmy, he's the one who says, a peculiar people. Very, very true words. But a very poor translation. Very true words. A peculiar people. In truth, this literally means a people acquired by God through considerable effort. And his effort was considerable. We are acquired by God through the blood of his son. Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, emphasized this idea when he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Which he obtained with his own blood. Matthew Henry wrote, All true Christians are a chosen generation. They all make one family, a sort and species of people distinct from the common world, of another spirit, principle, and practice, which they could never be if they were not chosen in Christ to be such and sanctified by his spirit. It's the work of God to acquire us as a people. And he alone can and has accomplished this in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sanctification of his spirit. This is God's work. Now, I struggled so hard to finally come to faith in Jesus. No, no. He grabbed you by the foot and dragged you through the knothole backwards. The work was his, not yours. And I don't care if you were raised in the church like some of us were. That didn't mean we 
didn't come kicking and screaming. It's God's work, not ours. It was God's voice that cried out to me at the bottom of the barrel. Not my voice to him. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people acquired by God. And for what purpose? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why me, Lord? Thank you for saving me. I don't know why. Well, it's an important question to ask. And it has a wonderful answer. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You want to know why? That's why. It doesn't have anything to do with you. (laughs) It has everything to do with him. Proclaiming the excellencies, the virtues, the attributes of God connected with our being called out of darkness, connected with our salvation. That's why he called you. This is not the sole work of the religious elite. If I were to even consider myself even closely related to that group. We stink at it. It's the work of the people, all of us. It's not the sole work of evangelists and pastors and preachers and teachers. This is the wonderful purpose and calling of God for his whole people. The whole peculiar group the whole community of believers, to give glory to God by telling everybody what he has done for you. That's it. That's why. He called you out of darkness so that you could do that. Not hide your light under a bushel basket. I've had a lot of those old songs running through my head this week. He has called you out of darkness, out of the sad condition of all men before Christ. All ignorant of God, unrighteous, slaves to Satan and sin, under the curse and wrath of God. He has called you out of that darkness by name, dragged you out of the miry pit and set your feet on the rock in his marvelous light. He has called us into holy communion with the one who is light. He has enlightened our understanding and sanctified or is in process of sanctifying our wills. He has filled our conscious consciences with peace. 
The nature and work of his light are marvelous because of what they do. His light is marvelous because what it has done to us, what it does to people, it makes lost sinners children of God. He is the only light. Don't forget. He is the only light. Don't be fooled. He is the only light. We have no reason to magnify ourselves above others. For once we had been in the same darkness. We were not called because of our own virtues. Only by God's grace have we been brought to the light. And now we have the awesome privilege of showing that light, testifying to that light to other people. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We started watching a movie uh, with our family a few nights ago. The, the Mitchells versus the Machines, something like that. I don't know, it's a cartoon. But the... The daughter in the family is getting ready to go to film, film school. And she connected with other people in the film school. And she didn't fit in in high school and didn't really fit well with her family and felt kind of alienated. And then she got connected to this film school that she really wanted to go to and started connecting with the people. And she said... I found my people. And it's a common expression that you, you find your people. Um, it's an old idea. And here, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have found our people. I thought that they would be better looking, but we found our... <laughs> I was just thinking of Kenny. Sorry. We have found our... Sorry, that should have stayed inside. Here. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard time. John Calvin wrote again, The meaning then is this. As though he had said, Moses called formerly your fathers a holy nation, a priestly kingdom, and God's peculiar people. All these high titles do now far more justly belong to you, the church. Therefore, you ought to be, beware, lest your unbelief should rob you of them. And there is no other reason why the Lord counts us his people except that he, having mercy on us, graciously adopts us. It's God that makes us a people. It's faith in Jesus Christ that makes us a family. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. 
And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted as God's own children. And with God as our father and Jesus as our brother, how much more can we be connected than, than by the blood of Christ? The blood of Christ makes strangers brothers and sisters. I don't need to know anything else about you other than that you belong to Jesus and that makes us family. The fact that we're all this peculiar helps. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you have bought us life. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved our lives. Brought us from the darkness into glorious light. May our lives ever reflect our gratitude and may we never shut up about what you've done. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth to those around us that they might know what happened and how great you are and how much you love us and them that they too might be counted part of this peculiar people. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.